You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual Looks like it's time for one of our occasional little refresher courses here at the Lovecast on the meaning of tolerance. If you were paying attention last week, if you so much as glanced at Twitter, you learned that Vice President Mike Pence doesn't dine alone with women who aren't his wife, Karen. Karen, who Pence calls mommy. Ronald Reagan called Nancy Reagan mommy. Quick digression. Reagan and Pence both belong to the political party that's absolutely overrun for the last three or four decades with anti-gay nutjobs who think there's something creepy and revealing and incesty going on when younger gay men call their older gay boyfriends daddy. But these creeps can call their wives mommy, and that's okay. Anyway, the news about Mike and mommy caused a firestorm on Twitter. There was some serious commentary and liberal hand-wringing because deals get cut over dinner and careers get made, to steal a phrase or to borrow a phrase from a Broadway musical, which is my favorite thing to do. Women want to be in the room where it happens, and that room in Hamilton and in Washington generally is often the dining room at dinner time. Mike and Mommy also came in for a lot of mockery. There wasn't just serious commentary. Mike doesn't eat alone with other women to prevent him from cheating on his wife. That is Mike Pence's words. That's how he describes it. He can't be trusted alone with someone at dinner, which suggests that all that stands between Mike and adultery is his wife physically. If Mike is out of sight, little Mike is out of his pants. Jeremy Hooper, uh, the blogger and author, nailed it in three short tweets. It's always astounding how straight Christian men admit the fragility of their sexuality slash fidelity. VP can't dine alone with other women? Same with gay stuff. Undercurrent of their war has always been idea that straight men are one tempting penis away from suction. Bizarre. Whereas, Jeremy goes on, you can put me in the middle of a sex club and I assure you I will stay both gay and faithful to my husband. You should be following Jeremy on Twitter at good as you. The Onion, God bless The Onion, weighed in with this hysterical headline. Mike Pence asks waiter to remove Mrs. Butterworth from table until wife arrives. The article is just as funny as the headline. Go read it. This is all too much for Melinda Henneberger, opinion columnist at the Kansas City Star. Progressives are a Twitter. Get it? A Twitter? over the revelation that Vice President Mike Pence doesn't dine alone with women who aren't Mrs. Pence, Hennerberger wrote. Isn't it up to the Vice President to decide the kind of marriage and social life he wants to have? Hennerberger's editor weighed in on Twitter, Pence's marriage outrages the intolerant. Isn't it up to the VP what kind of marriage he has? All right, this is where I have to step in and call bullshit on Hennerberger and her editor and the Kansas City Star and everyone out there on Twitter making this argument now. Because if it were up to Mike Pence, I wouldn't have any kind of marriage at all. No gay or lesbian couple would. People weren't being intolerant of Mike and Mommy's marriage. People were, gasp, having opinions about Mike and Mommy's marriage. And that's different. Remember, tolerance, to tolerate, it means to put up with. It doesn't necessarily mean to celebrate or accept uncritically or to refrain from having opinions about or to refrain from making fun of. You can tolerate something. You can be totally tolerant and still have an opinion about that something, even a low opinion of that something. I am perfectly willing to put up with Mike Pence's marriage, which includes all these silly rules to keep his dick out of women who aren't mommy. Ugh. 
And you know what? I personally don't care if Mike and Mommy think my marriage is sick and depraved and sinful, that it has one too many penises or whatever they think about my marriage. If Mike can put up with my marriage, he's tolerant. If not, then no. Then Mike is not tolerant. And Mike Pence, throughout his political career, has demonstrated over and over and over again that he cannot put up with same-sex marriage. He famously backed directing HIV prevention funds to conversion therapy programs. So Pence actually isn't willing to put up with or tolerate my existence, much less my marriage. And to style Pence now as the victim of intolerance because a lot of people, including a lot of straight people, made fun of this silly rule is bullshit of the highest order. And you know what we shouldn't tolerate? We shouldn't tolerate bullshit. And speaking of tolerance and bullshit and women and Mike Pence, while we were all debating Mike Pence's dinner plans, Pence, in his role last week as president of the Senate, cast a tie-breaking vote. He cast a couple of them. One of his votes made it possible for states to do what the federal government, the Republicans running it, would very much like to do defund Planned Parenthood one state at a time, in this case, instead of all 50 states all at once. Now, Planned Parenthood all along hasn't been able to spend federal funds on abortion services. So these cuts, these defunding of Planned Parenthoods all over the country, it's going to result in fewer cancer screenings for women, but not women Mike Pence dines with, so fuck them. And Pence's vote is going to result in decreased access to contraceptives, which will, wait for it, drive the abortion rate up or back up. Abortion rates are at historic pre-Roe v. Wade lows right now, thanks to increased access to contraception over the last decade, pushing policies that result in more unplanned pregnancies, which drives up the abortion rate, while at the same time making abortion harder to access. That's going to kill women. And you don't have to take my word for it. According to a study published in the medical journal, The Lancet, the highly credible, peer-reviewed, much-lauded medical journal, The Lancet, making abortions harder to get isn't associated with fewer abortions. As Chelsea Polis pointed out this weekend on Twitter, it only results in more women dying from unsafe abortions. You know, personally, I could give a shit about Mike Pence's marriage, and I'd like him to do me the same favor, not give a shit about my marriage. And I'm really not all that concerned about the women who would want to eat with Pence and can't. I'm much more concerned with the women out there whose lives are imperiled, thanks to Mike Pence. But yeah, it's fun to talk about Pence's dinner plans. I did too on Twitter last week and his impure thoughts about Mrs. Butterworth. But let's try to keep this in perspective. A small number of conservative women aren't going to dine with Mike Pence. A large number, a much larger number of women are going to die because of Mike Pence. All right, coming up today on the micro and magnum editions of the Savage Lovecast, Erica Moen from Ojoy oh Sex Toy is here with her monthly sex toy recommendation. And coming up on the magnum subscription edition of the Savage Lovecast, which you can subscribe to at www.savagelovecast.com. Dr. Terry Conley is here for a What You Got to share the results of a new study comparing the relative happiness of monogamous and non-monogamous couples. That's on the Magnum. Hi, Dan. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Um, I have a two-part question. My boyfriend of about a year, we've been friends for like 20 years, so there's a good connection there. He's very kinky. We kind of have a dom-sub relationship, and um, he has a kink that I don't want to do. He loves smoking and wants to see me smoke and I just find it completely appalling and I've done some vaping for him but it's not enough he wants more smoke and uh, 
he wants me to compromise, and I just find it horribly appalling. But uh, maybe I could do a hookah, I don't know, or indulge him in some other way, something creative, I'm not sure what. And I told him that, you know, we could come up with something together if, if he could indulge me in something. But I haven't told him what that is. My issue is he doesn't stay hard. It takes him a long time to come, but uh, he kind of loses his erection after like, I don't know, 10 thrusts or so. And then we have to play around for a little bit and then it gets back up and it goes back and forth for a while. And I need really hard cock. And I've tried to ask him about Viagra and he just kind of brushes me off. So I don't know how to bring it up. Like that is what I want. I want him to take Viagra and see if that helps. But I don't want to hurt his feelings because it's not a choice. It's his bodily function. So I don't want to insult him. But anyway, how can I indulge his fantasy without being disgusted with cigarette smoke? And how can I bring it up to him that I would really like him to take Viagra because I need a hard cock? Vaping seems like a perfectly adequate and reasonable compromise. I was going to suggest candy cigarettes, which you just blow out the end of and a little puff of powdered sugar flies out of them. I would not take up smoking to indulge a partner with this particular fetish or kink. I am all for, as everyone knows, good giving and game. But game has always had a qualifier. Game for anything, dot, 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 within reason. It is unreasonable to expect someone who is not a smoker to take up smoking which is dangerous and unhealthy, and to most non-smokers, revolting and disgusting, the smell and the taste for your dick or your pussy. It is unreasonable and therefore it trips the dot 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 within reason escape clause on general GGG-ishness. So you should not go there for him. Vaping, and sometimes I'm walking down the street trapped behind some idiot with what the kids call a douche flute, which is what they call those vaping dildos people put in their mouths on the streets and they create such enormous clouds of horrifying looking but not too stinky so i'll take them over the goddamn smokers vape smoke that not only does it seem like a perfectly reasonable and adequate compromise but you're giving him a whole lot more of what he wants which is smoke pouring out of your mouth people who are walking around vaping look like burning buildings if vaping isn't good enough for him candy cigarettes if candy cigarettes aren't good enough for him nothing now when it comes to his dick I wouldn't make this a tit for tat. I will smoke for you if you get a hard dick for me. I think this is separate conversations. Your desire for some hard dicking isn't a kink. It's just about sort of baseline sexual functionality. And that's where you begin this conversation. And it's going to be potentially a very awkward one for him. You can suggest Viagra. You can say to him, you know, 10 thrusts and you pull out and you get hard again and you're back in and it's all good. But... Some uninterrupted dicking would be great. Have you tried Viagra? Shall we incorporate a cock ring? What can we do? And you may learn when you approach this issue that he's already tried Viagra, which is why he shies off the subject. Doesn't work for all men. And if indeed this is just how his dick works and Viagra isn't going to do anything and Cialis isn't going to do anything and a cock ring is not going to really help, you may have to just work with and around his dick. And you have an option when it comes to some hard dicking which is dildos and toys and vibrators that can be incorporated into the sex play. He may not be able to go more than 10 thrusts without having to pull out and play with himself a little bit or roll around with you for a little bit, get hard and dive back in. But he can long dick you with a toy 
And you can then present that as a your kink for my kink if you're going to be willing to take up smoking for this. And you shouldn't. Please don't. But you could indulge him a little smoking if he can indulge you in some sex toy play using sex toys, using dildos and vibrators and plugs. And you can get your never-ending dicking from them with him there to help. Good luck. Hey, Dan. I'm a 29-year-old man from the Midwest. I've noticed a strange trend on social media lately. Maybe you can explain it to me. I have a lot of progressive friends. Many of those friends who are otherwise sex-positive and non-judgmental have been declaring that certain body parts are not sexual and that sexualizing those parts is oppressive. It started out with nipples. I'm fully in support of a woman's right to breastfeed or go bare-chested in public, but it seems like a stretch to say that nipples are only considered sexual because of cultural conditioning. Then people started saying that nudity is not sexual. For example, that there's nothing sexual about sending nude selfies to your friends when you're feeling confident about your body. The latest version of the trend is this quote. If we really want to protect our children, we need to let go of this antiquated repressionist need to sexualize our genitalia. I have no idea what that means, but it got a surprising amount of Facebook likes. I think genitalia are sexy. I think nudity is sexy. And I think nipples are sexy. I, probably like most people, get pleasure from showing off my own body and looking at other people's bodies. I think declaring body parts non-sexual is repressive, shaming, and not helpful. Can you help me break down this trend? Who is right here? I'm with you. Declaring body parts non-sexual does seem repressive, shaming, not helpful, sex negative. Also a complete and total fucking waste of time. We sexualize body parts. We sexualize – there are people out there who have fetishes about rubber bathing hats. They've sexualized swim caps to tell people you can't or shouldn't sexualize genitalia or nipples or shoulder blades or feet or earlobes is a waste of time. People are going to have the reactions that they have. You shouldn't make someone who's breastfeeding in public feel uncomfortable by drooling or staring. You shouldn't sexualize someone or make them aware that you are sexualizing them or a particular part of their body at a time where they're not inviting you to. But if they're sending around pictures of their naked bodies, they're inviting you to look at them as sexual objects. And if they feel they have to cross themselves and somehow self-exonerate by saying, here's my naked fucking body, which is likely to arouse you, but if you sexualize me at this moment, there's something fucking wrong with you. Bullshit. That is some sex-negative, double-reverse, backflip bullshit. And you do not have to cooperate or participate. You don't have to like those posts on Facebook, and you don't have to waste time hanging out with people who perform such bizarre and inane contortions when it comes to human sexuality. We sexualize Bodies and not just bodies. We sexualize inanimate fucking objects, materials, clothing. Uh, yeah, everything is potentially sexualizable and not everything is sexualized by everyone in quite the same way. And everyone should be very respectful of who they're sexualizing or what they're sexualizing and when and where they're doing it. But to declare it out of bounds, yeah, not how the human brain, human erotic imagination works. And we can shake a finger at it, but it's never going to change. Hi, I have an interesting to me relationship situation. Um, I uh, is a work colleague, and she actually is uh, one of my bosses. Uh, sometimes we travel a lot for work. Um, we started as a friendship and would go out for dinners with groups. And um, one time 
it was just the two of us. We definitely had some cocktails and drinks and um, fooled around. So uh, we talked about it after. Uh, she even said, you know, let's not make it weird. And I said, absolutely. Two consenting adults, friends with benefits. Um, until after that, it sort of, she sort of escalated it. Now, both of us are married. Um, I am in a uh, relationship. My spouse is okay with, with especially when I'm at work and traveling, that um, yeah, sort of an open situation. And uh, this is actually the first time I've acted upon it. So she's been texting and chatting with me, but she it keeps getting more serious. Like I'm not giving her enough time. And I keep going back to like, oh, I thought we were just like, when we're together, we're together at work. When we're not, you know, obviously we keep in touch, but um, I'm being, uh, getting the feeling that I'm not giving her the attention that she wants, or maybe she wants it to be something more. I've tried to placate her. It's tough because we are working together quite a bit to make that work tolerable, but I'm starting to get frustrating by her needing more than I am willing to give. Also, it would be in our work situation, it would be very awkward all around if uh, she decided to be really upset with me. So any advice on how to maneuver a what I thought was friends with benefits in a work situation to making it as comfortable as possible to be able to still travel and work? Document everything. Save the emails in whatever ways she's communicated with you about her desire for a more intense emotional connection or any other way she's communicated to you that she wants more of a girlfriend experience from you than you're able or willing to provide. Document all that shit because you're going to have to go to this woman who is your superior in the workplace and tell her no. Tell her that what she's asking from you, you are not able to give. And she may retaliate and then you may have a sex discrimination, workplace sexual harassment suit on your hands where you have to go to whoever her bosses are and complain about how you're being retaliated against for these reasons. Hopefully it won't come to that. But if it does come to that, you're going to want those emails and those text messages and everything else saved and handy. And there's no way to avoid the awkwardness here. Demands are being made upon you by someone with power over you that has you hesitating to speak up for yourself. And you're going to have to just go to her and, and lay it out. You're going to have to say no to this person who could fuck your life up and fuck your career up, but hopefully won't. But if she does, you may then have to fuck her life up a little bit and fuck her career up a little bit. Again, hopefully it won't come to that. But she's making demands on you. And because of the power differential here, because she is your boss or one of your bosses, you are being sucked into a relationship that makes you uncomfortable. You're probably doing things with her now that you do not want to do. That's fucked up. And you need to extricate yourself from that. And there are risks and dangers in the extrication process when it comes to a workplace entanglement like this. And you need to be prepared just in case the worst should come to pass. And this is why people often recommend not fucking other folks at work, particularly overlings and also again underlings only fuck your equals at work if you're going to fuck people at work and then hope they never get promoted or demoted we're going to take a quick break from our calls to talk to our friend erica moen for sex toy rex that's sex toy recommendations 
Erica Moen is the cartoonist behind Ojoy oh Sex Toy, a weekly comic about sex toys and sex education. You can find it at ojoysextoy.com. And she joins us by phone once a month for the sex toy recommendation of the month. Hey, Erica. Hey. How are you? I'm doing all right. How are you doing? Good. So, Erica, what is your big sex toy rec for the month of April? The Doxy. It is my most favorite, favorite toy. Uh, it's sort of like the magic wand, which used to be called the Hitachi magic wand, but then another company bought it named Vibertex, and now it's just called the magic wand. But anyway, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking magic about the wand? Doxy. And it, yeah, it is. It's like a great big magic wand. It's got a mm-hmm. great big head on it, and it has this huge long body. So it's kind of that classic image that most people associate with uh, the classic vibrator. And it is so powerful and it's so strong and the head is super like it's firm, but it's really soft and there's a really good weight to the handle of it, which I guess could be a bit cumbersome, but, uh, I don't know. I like, I just, I like the way it feels in my hand. I, I like the way it feels elsewhere. Uh, it's just, it's my most favorite toy. (laughs) It sounds kind of like a vibrating cricket bat or something, the way you described it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's, it's really, it's very big. And uh, yeah, I, it just it's so powerful. Is it bigger than the classic Hitachi Magic Wand? Is this sized up? It's not significantly bigger. And oh god, I hope I'm not getting this wrong. I, I don't have both of them side by side right now. But I think it is like just a smidge bigger. Um, it does have a great big cord. So if you want cordless, you'd still have to go with uh, Vibratex's Magic Wand. But mm-hmm. I don't know. Like I, I don't mind the cord because the the ride is so good. It's so worth it. <laughs> and what do these run? Uh, it's about $135, which is an investment, but like it can take a beating. So it's, it's something like you'll pay $135 now and it's going to last you for years. So if you just like divide how many years you have it by $135, it's, I think it's worth it. I think you should divide how many orgasms you will have with it by the cost. Oh my God. Then it's just pennies. <laughs> so some people out there will hear it's really powerful. It's got a really big head. It really gives you a thumping, intense uh, vibrate vibration and worry about mm-hmm. uh, becoming dependent on it or being too intense. Why do some people need that kind of intense uh, vibration and why should people who may not need it not fear it? Uh, well, I mean, some people need really intense stimulation. I, I mean, I'm somebody who was pre-orgasmic until I tried a, a vibrator for the first time. So some people, your genitals, like, it, they're just not going to tip over that point and reach orgasm until they get actual vibration, which, I mean, if we lived in the Stone Age, that would be really unfortunate. But fortunately, we live in the future, so we have these machines that can just, like, <laughs> bring you to climax in the snap of a finger. Or mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and I don't know why... That whole dependency thing, I guess for some people that could be true. But then again, like, is it so bad to be dependent on something that effectively gives you an orgasm? Like, if the choice is I guess no it's, orgasm. Uh, I, or, guess it's, I guess it's bad if the thing is a vibrator. If the thing's a girlfriend, a husband, a wife, a non-binary friend, it's okay. And that just may be tech phobia and vibra shame. Yeah, I think this is definitely tech phobia and vibra shame. One important note for people out there when you talk about really intense uh, vibrators that that offer a very powerful uh, degree of stimulation, most of women's clitoral tissues are buried inside their body. The clitoris, Mm -hmm. we talk about as the clitoris, is just the head, just the glands. There are the clitoral wings, Mm -hmm. there are these erectile chambers, and a lot of that tissue is very, you know, it's buried in the body under layers of skin and muscle and fat, and... 
to, to, to stimulate it, you need – some women really do need this kind of intense stimulation. You, you watch guys jack off and some guys pay a lot of attention to the head and that's all they really need and they're just mm-hmm. like jacking the head of their dicks. But some guys are like really working the shaft and a woman who wants to work the shaft of her clitoris and you do have a clitoral shaft. You have two of them can't work mm-hmm. the shaft from outside the body without something like a powerful vibrator. Yeah, I just I I don't see a problem with de- building up a quote unquote dependency on a on a, a tool that helps you get there. And uh, and I just want to say, as somebody who didn't orgasm until I started using vibrators, once I started using vibrators, it taught my body like, oh, this is how my arousal response works. This is what gets me there. Mm-hmm. And then after I started orgasming with the aid of vibrators. I was able to learn how to do it with my hand. So, like, it's not just, oh, you'll, you'll get stuck on the vibrator for life, which I don't think is a bad thing. That can also, like, be a really good aid to teach you how to do it yourself and to teach you, like, oh, that's what an orgasm is. That's how I got to get there. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's a good thing. And once again, the recommendation this month, the name and where they can find it. My recommendation is the Doxy uh, Massager, and you can get it from doxymassager.com. And it's $135, and I totally think it's worth it. Erica Moen, she is the cartoonist behind Oh Joy Sex Toy, a weekly comic about sex toys and sex education, which you can find at ojoysextoy.com. Thanks so much, Erica. Talk to you next month. Hey, Dan. Here's my issue. Um, So I've been seeing this new guy who has an amazing dick, but every time I blow him, I pee myself. I've had some minor issues with leaking, like when I sneeze or when I run, but it's like a tiny little splash, not enough to soak through my clothes. But when I'm on my knees and I go down on him, I'll have that leakage if I'm like choking or gagging. But if he comes in my mouth, I straight up lose control and piss on the carpet. I always go to the bathroom before sex because I don't want to have to stop to pee in the middle of fucking. So how do I prevent this? It's really embarrassing. Also, should I be worried that this is a health issue? I've always associated urinary incontinence with older women and moms, not healthy childless ladies in their 20s. One of the primary features of the advice racket is the appearance of omniscience. You appear to know everything your readers, your listeners, they think you know everything because you only play questions that you have answers for. You don't play the questions that you don't have the answers for. Except this time. This time, right now, I am playing a question that I don't have an answer for. Maybe a listener out there has an answer. I have some theories. Why do you pee yourself a little bit when you run? Well, your reproductive organs are scrambled together with your excretory organs. I'm not sure quite how that word is pronounced. Excretory. I'll go with that pronunciation. Correct me if I'm wrong. And there are people who, when they exercise, become aroused. Dr. Herbenick, Dr. Debbie Herbenick from Kinsey Institute and Indiana University has come on this very show to talk about what she dubbed corgasms. People who, when they exercise, have orgasm. Mostly women have this superpower. Don't want to call it a problem. And there are then some people who, when they climax, women, uh, will pee a little bit. Some people argue and there are Two sides to this debate that female ejaculate is just urine and that there are women who expel urine when they climax. Maybe when you're running, you're becoming aroused and there's a little bit of pee. Maybe when you're given that blowjob, maybe you're just so aroused. Maybe there's an arousal response that causes you to wet the carpet. 
What can you do about it? You could talk to a doctor about it. You could listen to the show next week, where I'm sure we will get a lot of feedback uh, about your question. Uh, but you could talk to a doctor about it, or you can move those blowjobs from the room with the carpet to the room with a hardwood or tiled floor or to the bathtub. Hi, Dan. I've been dating my boyfriend for a little under a year, maybe 10 months. And my question involves his drinking and smoking activities. Um, I wouldn't say that he drinks and smokes excessively all the time, but when he does, he goes way overboard with it. As a matter of fact, when he gets really drunk, he ends up pissing his pants. Um, This has happened about six times in the time that we've been dating. So it's like after a big wedding or going to a concert and drinking all day, anything like that. It's not like he walks around having wet his pants in public, but he'll come home, go to sleep, and a couple hours in, he'll piss him. And he has a small bladder in general. He has to go to the bathroom a lot when he is conscious, so I think he's just a little bit too unconscious uh, to wake himself up. This makes me really mad, and I usually don't talk to him for a day or two afterwards because it usually happens in my bed. The last time, as a matter of fact, this morning, um, after I had noticed that he had drank way too much and came home way too late, I actually forced him to sleep on the floor next to the bed like a dog. And there I woke up and to the sound of him peeing. So yeah, he peed on my floor this time at least, so I didn't have to fix my whole bed up. Anyway, I'm just wondering what you think about this. He needs to seek professional help. Um, He needs to just fucking grow up and stop drinking so much. Is he an alcoholic? Is this just a problem because he has a small bladder? Uh, Should I dump him because of this? I'm just wondering because I'm too embarrassed to tell anyone else about it. We played your call and we took a vote in the room and it was unanimous. Nancy Hartunian, Dan Savage, each and every one of the tech savvy at risk youth who were at work today. We would all dump this asshole less than a year, six times in less than a year. He has wet your bed, not because he has... An issue that would elicit sympathy, not that he has a bladder control problem, not that he has an incontinence issue, not that he's 70 and you're a gerontophile and sometimes you just have to roll with that. No, he gets hammered, 31 years old, gets shit-faced drunk, so drunk he can't wake up in the middle of the night and walk to a bathroom. Yeah, no. And he knows this is a problem. He knows when he has that third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth beer, vodka, soda, whatever the fuck, pisco sour, whatever it is he's drinking, that that means tonight I will wet my girlfriend's bed and he keeps drinking and then he crawls into bed with you. No, that is some deal breakery shit. You say to him, if you don't want to take the DTMFA advice, you say to him, when you are this drunk, I am sending you home to your house. When you are this drunk, you may not sleep in my house. So you go up to him when he orders that third drink and you say, You're sleeping at your house tonight. You are not coming home with me if you have that third drink or whichever drink is the tipping point drink. And if he regularly chooses to get that drunk, if he regularly chooses to piss the bed, that that's more important to him, being so drunk he's going to piss the bed than being with you, then that gets us back to DTMFA land. That gets us back to we're all looking at each other in the room. We're all making eye contact right now. It's a big crowd in here today nodding our heads when uh, dumping this motherfucker comes up. Yeah, deal breakery shit. Somebody who pissed my bed six times in a year, not at my request because that wasn't my thing, that guy would not be invited back, drunk or sober. Hi, Dan. I'm a 23-year-old male who's been dating a 22-year-old female for a little over a year and a half. Uh, She's my first real girlfriend, um, the first girl I've ever been in love with. I'm going to be moving to California to start grad school in the fall. It'll be three years. I'll be getting my MFA. 
and I'm super excited. My girlfriend and I have been planning to move together, uh, but the closer the decision comes, the more I'm kind of having second thoughts about it. Uh, we'll be living in graduate housing in a high-income area, and the program's fully funded with a generous stipend, but I know we're going to have to be stingy. Um, she says she's okay with this, but I'm worried that she won't be um, when the reality of our day-to-day sets in. And, you know, I'm busy with school, and she's hopefully at a job that she likes, but um, I can't really know, you know, what that is going to look like for both of us. I write three to four hours every morning, and um, she's accepted this. Uh, so far in our relationship, but I'm afraid that, you know, just as kind of the workload escalates for grad school, she's going to start feeling neglected. Um, I don't want to set her by the wayside um, while I'm, you know, pursuing my dream, uh, but I also don't want to compromise my own productivity. Her moving with me, though, is kind of dependent on the expectation that we're going to travel after I graduate which I'd love to do, but I'm also concerned that my career opportunities might get in the way of it. Um, I don't want her to move out here based on a promise I can't make right now. So I don't know, am I about to ruin a good thing or am I kind of right to be second guessing this commitment right now? You have two options. She comes with you. She doesn't get to see much of you or you have a long distance relationship for this time. And it doesn't sound like it's going to be a long time that you're in this program. And you just put both of those on the table. Come with me. You're not going to see much of me. And then if she comes with you and she is resentful because of the time pressures and the constraints and logistical limitations and the amount of time you're going to get to see her, you just remind her that this was part of the deal. She accepted this, that she would see very little of you during this time. Or you do the LDR thing where you're not going to see much of each other. But when you do see each other, it's going to be a weekend that you've cleared and you have nothing else to do but her and vice versa. So you will see each other rarely. But when you are together, you will be together. And then you got to let her make her choice. And if she comes and she doesn't get to see much of you and the relationship sours and it ends, then it ends. And if she doesn't come and you guys are long distance and the relationship falls apart, then it falls apart. You just have to make your choices, uh, roll your dices, move your mices. As for that other issue around traveling, if you have committed to her that you will travel with her for a time when this program is over, if she comes out there and offers you, I don't know, some financial support if she's going to be helping you float this or just logistical support because she's going to be helping with meals or house cleaning or just emotional support, you owe it to her then to come through with the travel. You owe it to her then to delay the beginning of your professional career. Presumably, whatever opportunities come your way at the end of this program are going to be the only opportunities that come your way ever. So you can say to prospective employers, I'm taking six months off after this, or you can just delay applying for jobs until you're back from your travels with your long-suffering patient and still their girlfriend. Hey, Dan. So it's a 25-year-old woman from the... Uh, Midwest, and I really like to sleep around with a lot of guys, and I identify as queer, but I I do tend to end up with a lot of guys who are presumably straight or mostly straight, and the the sort of the, the sleeping around and the doing things for their pleasure and feeling really desirable is sort of my thing. Like that's sort of my kink, I guess, if you could call it that. I don't know, but it's a huge turn on for me. But I don't necessarily want to go all the way to orgasm myself 
all the time or even a lot of the time. Um, it takes a long time. I find it kind of stressful. It doesn't always work. And like, I don't know, sometimes I just, I find it more enjoyable to just skip it. So my question is, is that just skipping it? Is that like reinforcing the sort of tendency for, especially for sort of straight boys uh, to ignore a woman's physical needs or like to not, you know, pay back their partner? I don't know. I guess I'm just kind of worried that it's contributing to that. And I like what I do and I don't want to be creating a negative environment for other people they might sleep with in the future. Interesting your call should come this week. I was just this week reading a study at the Journal of Sex Research titled Do Women's Orgasms Function as Masculinity Achievement for Men? Quoting here from the abstract, orgasms have been promoted as symbols of sexual fulfillment for women and have perhaps become the symbol of a woman's healthy sex life. However, some research has suggested that this focus on women's orgasms, though ostensibly for women, may actually serve men. Basically, what the study found when they looked at 810 men who were attracted to women is that their investment in your orgasm isn't necessarily about your pleasure, but about their ego. makes them feel manly to get you off. So they're constantly checking in about whether you're aroused. So they need many of these men, you to come for them, not for you, for them. And perhaps that's better than guys who just don't care whether you come or not and could give a shit, and those guys are definitely out there. Maybe this is a better guy to end up in bed with, a guy who's really invested in your orgasm for his own selfish reasons. Perhaps better than a guy who could give a shit about your orgasm for similarly selfish reasons. That said, all you got to do in a case like this is use your words. If you're going to bed with a guy and it's not about you coming, all you have to do is say before you go to bed – Sometimes I don't come. Sometimes it really takes a lot to get me off, and I'm not always up for doing that work, so you can relax. This is going to be about you and you coming, not necessarily about me climaxing. And then you're off the hook, pressure-wise. You can come or not come. If you change your mind in the moment and want to come, you can throw yourself at it. If not, you've already conditioned the guy not to expect it to be about your orgasm. And if he has a meltdown – then he's clearly one of the guys that this study was about, one of these guys who your orgasm is about him, not about you, about his ego, not about your pleasure. And if he's one of those guys, you should run screaming from the room. Hey, Dan. I'm a 34-year-old female living in the Pacific Northwest. I've been single about four years. I've tried dating. No one has really interested me. However, I met a guy. He's 27. met him about two months ago. We have amazing chemistry. We enjoy each other's company. And we were having incredible sex. So about a month ago, the condom broke. He hadn't come yet, but he was really nervous. And I explained to him that my period was about two days away. So he asked if I would take plan B, to which I said, no, I didn't think it was necessary. I like to stay away from pumping hormones into my body. He was very anxious. My period did come in the next two days, and we had to sit down and talk about it. So I know my body really well. I tried to tell him about the rhythm method and he just, he wasn't having it. So we haven't had sex since. He knows I'll never be on birth control. I also told him I'd never have an abortion. I would like to have a kid in the next couple of years, but I'm certainly not trying to get pregnant right now. And he knows that. And we've had multiple sit down conversations about it. So we're pretty much blue in the face. 
he has suggested alternatives to vaginal sex, uh, dildos, anal, pretty much anything else. And while I do consider myself GGG, I do need to have sex. That's the bottom line. I think it promotes bonding when you're, when you're dating someone, and it should be the fun and the easy part. He even suggested I sleep with other people, which I'm not really interested in that right now. So he says that getting me pregnant would be the worst thing of his life, and he's not willing to risk the 2% chance of condom failure. So, Dan, I do validate his feelings, but I feel like he's being a little immature and needs to act more like a man. I told him I would take plan B if it was ne- if it was warranted. If the condom broke, he came and I was ovulating, I certainly would take plan B. That would be another conversation. Um, I've tried to educate him on the rhythm method. He said he would look into it. But at this point, we are not having sex. And it's really frustrating. So, Dan, are there any suggestions or do you think I should move on and find someone to fuck me? His body, his choice. If a guy called in who was pressuring his girlfriend to engage in what she regarded as high risk for pregnancy sex when she did not want to be pregnant, when a pregnancy for her would be a disaster, it would be my job and everyone would expect me to tell that guy that he was an asshole and tell his girlfriend if she should happen to be listening to break up with him. The same applies here. You are pressuring this guy to have sex with you in a way that leaves him feeling vulnerable and uncomfortable that seems to him to be high risk for pregnancy And he's just not down. And his body, his dick, his choice. Period. The end. You assailing his masculinity is not helpful and is kind of an asshole move. If you were a real man, you wouldn't have this problem. No. You are 34 years old. You would like to get pregnant in the next two years. He knows that. He's not comfortable with rhythm. Condoms fail and one failed with you. And so he's just not comfortable having penetrative vaginal intercourse with you. If that is unacceptable to you, Break the fuck up with him and date someone else. But recognize that you have options other than pumping your body full of hormones and other than anal sex or non-penetrative sex with him for the rest of your life. There are non-hormonal interuterine devices, IUDs, that you could get that aren't going to pump your body full of hormones, which may make him much more comfortable. The combo of rhythm condoms IUD as opposed to the combo of rhythm condoms dot dot dot. So there's something you could do proactively if it's his dick that you want, which is get an IUD, which is highly effective and can be safely removed in a year or two when you are ready to get pregnant and have that baby. But his body, his choice. Sounds like he's made his choice. He's not putting his dick in you. If that's a deal breaker for you and it sounds like it is, you two need to part ways. Hi, Dan. 29-year-old straight male calling from Canada. Dan, my question is about how to make the leap from vanilla sex to kinky sex. My girlfriend and I have been together for about a year, and she's amazing. Best girlfriend I've ever had, super supportive, really hot, and gets along well with my family. And we have really great vanilla sex. But I'm looking to make that transition for us from vanilla to kinky sex, and I'm not quite sure how. We've had conversations surrounding that topic. She's down for more rough sex, is into choking, um, which is great. I mean, I've done that with previous partners and I find it really hot. The problem is, is that I almost respect her and care about her too much to want to treat her like that, which is a bit of a catch 22. I mean, that's a thing that I think is hot and gets me off, but 
I just feel almost guilty about treating her like that. You know, we've talked about dirty talk and we've tried it and she doesn't really, she's not really into it. She thinks it's kind of funny and when she tries it, it's kind of a turnoff because it comes across as really unauthentic. So really what I'm just looking for is, you know, what are some ways that we can roll out some things to try together because I really want to make this transition. I recently responded to someone in Savage Love, my weekly sex advice column, a woman who wrote in, 30 years old, long-term polyamorous relationship, great guy. The relationship began as an extremely dom-sub thing with her being the sub and her now boyfriend being a dom. And the more time they spent together, the more committed they became, the longer they were together, the more bonds of affection that grew. She found herself less able to submit to her boyfriend that the BDSM wasn't working for her anymore in the context of this relationship now. And I responded to her, it's not uncommon to meet people in BDSM spaces and circles who have passionate, intimate, solid, and regular vanilla sex with their long-term partners and intense BDSM play and or sex with their more casual partners. For some submissives, I go on, intimacy and a long-term connection can interfere with their ability to enter into and enjoy their roles. And the same is true for some doms. It may be just how you are wired, letter writer. This may be how you're wired. There are certain kink things that you enjoy, the rough sex, choking, choking being very dangerous. Please refer back to the show that I did with Amp from What's the Safe Word about choking folks. But you enjoy these things with people that you don't have feelings for, for with people that you don't like, like. Maybe people you, hopefully people you like, hopefully you like all your sex partners, but not, you know, like, like them, like, like, love them. And that may be a tripwire for you. Uh, you can't engage in this kind of rough sex if you really love them, if you're really connected to them. It's just a tripwire. That said, you do want to make an effort, I think, to try to integrate the, the sex that you enjoy into the sex life you have with the people that you are committed to or in love with. Because it's kind of sad if the things that you both enjoy the most, you're incapable of doing together. Now, sometimes you have to accept what you cannot change, which was kind of my advice to the letter writer in Savage Love a couple of weeks ago. But you haven't even tried yet to integrate these rough sex techniques, this style of lovemaking into the relationship that you're in with this person that you're in love with. Might help if you told yourself that rough loving sex is also loving, that there's sweet, tender bunnies and hearts and flowers and tiny little tea candles lit all over the apartment lovemaking. But then there's throw yourselves around lovemaking. And sometimes it's just a matter of addressing that cognitive dissonance that I have convinced myself that this kind of fucking is the kind of fucking you do with people you don't care about and therefore I can't do it with someone I do care about. But that's just a story that you've told yourself about this kind of sex. Rough sex can be intimate and connected and loving just like bunnies and hearts and flowers and tea candles, very tender lovemaking can be very disconnected and even dehumanizing. People have had seemingly what would look like from the outside, loving and passionate and tender sex with someone who didn't care about them and someone they didn't care about at all. And people can and do have rough, intense sex with people that they care about and love. And it's just really the funnel through which you pour the lovemaking and how you process it and understand it. So accepting that you may never be able to get there, just like the letter writer a couple weeks ago, accepting that this may be a hard limit or a break for you, a circuit breaker. That's the phrase I kept reaching for and not being able to grasp. This may be kind of a circuit breaker for you. Recognizing that you owe it to each other to see if you can't integrate these things together. Your feelings for her with the kind of sex that you know turns both of you on. Baby steps. 
do some reading. You might want to pick up a terrific book. It's a little more BDSM-y, I think, costumes and bondage than it sounds like you may be interested in. But there's a terrific book called Screw the Roses, Send Me the Thorns that's kind of user-friendly and mild about these things that may help you reconceive of what rough sex could mean in the context of a loving relationship. Good luck. We're going to take a quick break from your calls because there are scientists and sex researchers out there hard at work trying to figure out what we're doing, who we're doing, and who we are. We like to invite researchers with newly published studies onto the show for a segment we call What You Got. Joining me by phone for this What You Got, Terry Connolly, an associate professor of psychology at the University of Michigan with a new study out. I have no idea what it's about. Terry, what you got? Well, Dan, this is probably one of the simplest studies you could imagine. All we did is compare people who are monogamous to people who are consensually not monogamous on a variety of measures related to their satisfaction in their relationship. And so when I say consensually non-monogamous, referring to people who identify as either swingers or polyamorous or as being in an open relationship. And the relationship dimensions we considered were um, general relationship satisfaction, commitment, trust, jealousy, and um, passionate love. So kind of a variety of things that make your relationship good. Mm-hmm. And um, basically we found little, little difference, if any, between the two groups. Um, there, it wasn't like there were huge differences between the groups, but generally if there were, um, more positive feelings about the relationship in some instances, that was falling in favor of people who are consensually non-monogamous rather wait, than people who are monogamous. Wait, what? Cause all I ever hear from the angry monogamists who think, I think everyone should be non-monogamous is that monogamy is the only measure of true love and true commitment and true passion. And that non-monogamy means you don't give a shit about each other or like each other very much. Is that not true? Is that not borne out by the data? (laughs) Well, that is exactly um, what we found, too, when we studied attitudes about consensual non-monogamy and monogamy, that, you know, our our relations, our our participants were saying things like, well, um, you can't do a non-monogamy because of jealousy issues was one of the, the factors that would come up for them. And that these relationships mean people don't care about each other. So we certainly have gotten that message to loud and clear. However, yes, we, we found basically the, the opposite of that. Anything. And I want to emphasize, these are really small differences, right? I would essentially say these, these aren't really important differences, but I think the important part is that they are not showing that monogamy is this overwhelmingly positive um, versus consensual non-monogamy is this overwhelmingly negative relationship style. So for people who choose consensual non-monogamy, and I have emphasized that. It's not like we were like be, being able to assign people to be monogamous or consensual non-monogamous. So for mm-hmm. people who choose consensual non-monogamy, they seem to be perfectly happy in those relationships. So the takeaway here might be uh, what you found is that people who are in the kind of relationship, who've adopted the relationship model that they're most comfortable with or it makes them the happiest, are generally pretty happy. And it's not one yes. or the other. It's what yes. works for that individual couple. That would be my guess. I mean, it'd be fun to be able to do an experiment where we randomly assign people to be monogamous <laughs> non-monogamous, but somehow... I don't think you'd get really approval that for that kind of future. study. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> the dimensions on which we found consensual non-monogamy actually favored over monogamy uh, were trust in which consensually mono- non-monogamous participants were higher and jealousy on which consensually non-monogamous um, those, uh, people were lower. So non-monogamous people were less jealous than monogamous people. Yes. And that, you know, often I hear from people who are contemplating 
uh, non-monogamy either because they might want to adopt it themselves in their relationship where they're just thinking about it because it's so much discussed these days. Uh, is that won't jealousy be a problem that people who are in monogamous relationships look at people in non-monogamous relationships and assume that jealousy would be hugely problematic or a constant source of tension? And your study found that not to be true? No, we didn't really see that. And again, this could be because people who are not particularly jealous are self-selecting into consensual non-monogamous relationships. Hmm. Um, but we don't really see that happening. And there's a ample qualitative research on specifically polyamory, which talks about how jealousy becomes something over time that um, polyamorous people report just learning to manage. So it's, it's not that it's never there, but it's mild and something they can deal with. So because sample size matters and where the sample is drawn from matters as well, how many people were, were in this study? How many couples did you look at and where did you find them? Uh, we were looking at individuals, not couples, so it would be interesting to look at couples. We had about uh, 1,500 monogamous people and about 600 people in various types of consensual non-monogamy. And this was not a randomly selected, um, you know, scientifically chosen sample. So um, there could be some biases here based on uh, the extent to which um, different types of people will choose to take a, a study or take a survey about this topic. Because one of the things that people sometimes do is uh, that they misapply the meaning of a study. For instance, I've cited this study a bunch of times where uh, there are several of them now that people who practice BDSM often report uh, better, do better on metrics or on measures of mental health and stability and happiness than people who don't. And some people go, well, I guess you should – Everyone should do BDSM then since BDSM makes you healthy. And it's like, no, 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 no. People who right. are into BDSM who can incorporate that into their lives in a healthy, consensual way, it's, you know, they, they've demonstrated they have tools that apply elsewhere in their lives as well. It's not just add BDSM to an unhappy person, you get a happy person. So it's not just add non monogamy to a jealous person, you get a not jealous person. That people who are not jealous are likelier to practice non monogamy. That seems likely. Yeah. So for you know the casual reader, for the man and woman and non-binary person on the street out there, what's the takeaway from this study? What, what, what should they what, what should they glean from it? I think the takeaway is that people can be successful in a lot of different types of relationships, and so you don't have to be in a monogamous relationship to have a happy relationship. So what's the name of the study, and where can folks who want to read it find it? Um, this is published in the journal Perspectives on Psychological Science, and it just came out, uh, was it yesterday or the day before? So I don't know how widely available it is. Uh, the title is Investigation of Consensual Non-Monogamous Relationships, Theories, Methods, and New Directions. Usually this would be where I said goodbye to somebody uh, on a What You Got segment, but I wanted to quickly ask you about the Stigmatized Sexualities Lab that you run at the University of Michigan. Fascinating name for a lab. Can you tell us what that's about before I let you go? Basically, in our lab, we're interested in um, types of sexuality that are in some way frowned upon in society. So one of the things we study is casual sex, particularly focusing on gender differences in casual sex. And of course, women are stigmatized more than men for engaging in it. And then also we've been interested in non-monogamous relationships because they have um, all kinds of negative um, associations for people. Um, we also study gender differences in Sexuality, such as um, orgas the orgasm gap in heterosexual encounters, such that women have fewer orgasms than men do when they're in heterosexual relationships, and um, desire. And so these are also things that women are stigmatized for 
basically license sex as much as men do is sort of our take on it. And so we find ways to uh, study that dynamic. So the University of Michigan, the Michigan state government is run by a bunch of troglodyte, knuckle-dragging Republican assholes. How do you get away with it? Yeah, I'm kind of wait. <laughs> I'm waiting for the other foot to fall. I feel like in general, <laughs> University of Michigan is pretty good about trying to protect their faculty. And I was actually hired to do um, to do this type of research. I was hired into a position for the psychology of sexuality. So I always feel like I came with my my warning label prominently attached. And so far, the university's been very good to me. Terry Connolly, associate professor of psychology at the University of Michigan. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Hi, Dan. I'm having trouble getting my head around what I should do about a relationship. I'm a late 40s bisexual lefty liberal male from the West Coast, but I now reside in the Bible Belt. I am in a relationship with a woman who is quite a bit younger than me and has a totally different worldview. She does the whole God thing, does not approve of gay marriage, is truly not interested in helping the poor or marginalized or even women's rights. Basically, she's an anti-feminist. Obviously, we just can't talk about any social issues. She does have all the beliefs of a country bumpkin bigot, but she is not one. She does not act against those who have different beliefs. She just has a different worldview. She does accept me for who I am, even though she doesn't, quote-unquote, believe in my bisexuality. She does treat me really well. So well, in fact, she's the first person in a long time I've considered making an effort to be monogamous with. We've now dated for about nine months. However, I simply struggle with her conservative and somewhat bigoted views. She's done nothing wrong in terms of her actions. But I think the differences are a deal killer. My question is, how do I stick this dismount? She is extremely attached to me, maybe even obsessive. I know that breaking up is going to crush her. She's had a lot of emotional problems lately. Also, both of us are very active in the tight-knit roller derby community. So we will see each other regularly after a breakup. I do not see her being able to remain friendly. It's going to crush her. I really do love this girl, but I know better than to continue the relationship. I'm not asking if I should leave her. I think that's obvious. But rather, how do I do this and minimize the damage to her emotionally? Please help me stick this dismount. I don't understand how someone can hold all the beliefs of an old school Bible thumping bigot without actually being an old school Bible thumping bigot. Just because someone isn't trying to weaponize their old school Bible thumping bigotry doesn't get them off the bigotry hook. Just because I'm not trying to pass a law that makes it illegal for you to be you doesn't mean that what I think about you being you isn't shitty and retrograde. As for the, the question that you ask, how can you dump her without devastating her? You can't. You either have to stay with her for the rest of your life, which it does not sound like you want to do, and I don't think that you should do. I don't think you as a bi guy who's out and open about it and gold star and congrats on that score should settle for a woman who doesn't believe in your bisexuality as if your bisexuality was a fairy in the garden. You deserve better. You deserve a partner who affirms your sexual orientation and identity and loves you for who you are instead of pretending that you aren't who you are and then loving that pretend Potemkin village version of you that she's created in her head. People get dumped all the time. People are devastated by being dumped. Sometimes people need to be devastated when they are dumped. Sometimes it is that devastation that forces us to take a long, hard look at who we are and how we're behaving and what we believe and then hopefully reconstruct ourselves in a way that's a little bit better. So 
yeah, tell her you're ending it. Tell her why. Tell her you aren't down with the Bible-thumping bigotry weaponized or not. And tell her that your bisexuality isn't an imaginary friend like her Lord and Savior is. And that her not believing you when you say you're bisexual is one of the reasons you are ending this relationship. And that she needs to find someone who's 100% heterosexual and they can spend the rest of their lives together pretending that people like you, the person who is devastating her right now by dumping her, don't exist. But you're not going to be there with her. You're not going to continue to date her so long as she believes these things because because you shouldn't have to settle for that kind of negation in a relationship. You need validation. And you deserve better than her and the people that she dates in the future – deserve a better her and they might get a better her if you risk devastating her now and devastating her for reasons that she deserves to be devastated for. Hi, Dan and Nancy. I am a 30-year-old cis white um, engaged female in the Rocky Mountains and I have a question. You talk about finding your 0.67 and rounding it up. Well, my fiance, he's at least like a 0.82. He's Oh, wonderful. We have a fabulous relationship. He's really good at sex, really invested in my pleasure. Um, and it's pretty um, engaging and adventurous. But something that we could definitely work on is the way that he um, initiates with me. And I, I have a, I'm really lucky because um, if I want to initiate sex with him, all I have to do is like give him a big smooch or, you know, talk dirty to him for like a half second. He is like ready to rock and roll. But with me, he just like, I don't know if he feels unsure of how to approach me about it sometimes. Um, and it usually ends up being like, hey, do you want to go upstairs or do you want to go have sex? Um, and it really hasn't evolved past that very much. Um, and I've tried to talk to him about it because that doesn't, it doesn't necessarily put me in the mood or make me all that interested. And usually be like, yeah, okay. And then I get in the mood once we get into it. But it would be nice if, like, he could do or say something that, like, sparked my interest from the very beginning and I've talked to him about like ways that I like to be touched or you know dirty talk that I would like um so I've tried to give him some specific examples and it hasn't really hit home um so I was wondering if you had any advice on how I could approach him about this I'm constantly encouraging people to use your words but this is an instance where you have to go to your boyfriend and say stop using your words He comes to you and says, hey, want to go upstairs and have sex? And that turns you off. It doesn't work for you. It doesn't put you in the mood to have sex. And what you have to say to him is when you want to have sex, you have to initiate, not throw me down and start fucking me. You have to physically convince me to go upstairs and have sex. You need to ask me to go have sex with you without using your words. You have to use touch. You have to use your mouth. You have to use gestures and physical contact and not just taking me by the hand and leading me upstairs. You have to crank me up a little bit. So say that all to him or make him listen to what I just said to him through you. And the next time he comes up to you and he begins to say, hey, want to go upstairs and have sex? slap your hand over his mouth and say, no words. You may not use your words. You may attempt to now convince me to want to go upstairs and have sex with you, but you got to make me want to with gestures, touch, tongue, intimacy, lips, kiss, contact. You've got to use not your words. You've got to use everything else. Hi, Dan. A long-time listener, first-time caller. I have a question for you about, I guess, boundaries and jealousy. Um, My boyfriend has a kind of large Instagram presence, and he's got lots of sort of fans that love his style. 
Um, whenever they come to New York, like it seems that a lot of women and some men want to meet him. And he's always really game to meet them. However, I'm not exactly super comfortable with him meeting random women that adore him off the internet. Um, I've never said he can't see them or put any restrictions on it or anything. He knows I'm uncomfortable with it. And instead of, you know, having a brief coffee for maybe an hour or two, he's entertaining these women in his office in Midtown for three to four hours. And uh, these women are married happily. And, you know, I don't really think anything's going on. It's just... I don't understand why he can't respect the fact that it makes me uncomfortable and check in with me, maybe send me a little text just saying, hey, you know, wrapping up now, whatever. But tonight he was supposed to come with me to a meeting and at about 20 minutes to the meeting, he was still in midtown Manhattan with some woman. And am I, am I being crazy here or is he just being really disrespectful? So just between you and me, what's your... Is it husband, boyfriend, partner? Boyfriend. What's your boyfriend's Instagram handle so I can look at these pictures myself? Ah, uh, yes. And I will. Uh, bro- and wait, lo- wait, wait, wait. <laughs> we will. We will not broad. We're going to beep out the Instagram handle because this okay. is just between you and me, and everybody else listening is going to have to just scour Instagram <laughs> to see if they can find it. Go ahead. It is. All right, I'm looking at pictures. Very stylish. <laughs> Yes, and you see where he works as well, so <clears throat> that I think factors in. Ah, uh, yeah. So people want to meet up with your boyfriend to talk about style. Um, yeah, and I think a lot of them think he's gay, and a lot of them see him as a bit of a mentor because he's older. Mm-hmm. So that, and also he being older, he's never used the internet to meet people. He was in a long term marriage. He um, never used Tinder or anything like that. So I think. He's not, he now is, but I don't think he was aware of how, you know, people can be different online and offline and this kind of thing. I think he was just quite flattered to be asked um, initially. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he's got thousands of followers. So people come to New York and they want to meet him. People have flown from Australia. In fact, three different women have flown from Australia. I mean, they've been coming to New York, but also basically just to meet him because they think he's a mentor to them and... Mm-hmm. I don't know whether they blow it up in their minds to be something. And also where he works, they, they want to meet there. Right. So and well let's not, that. So, he's in a position and we're not going to mention where he works, but he's in a position where if he liked you professionally, that his attention could be very beneficial to you in whatever career it is that you're pursuing. He's in a power position. He's actually not, but I think it probably comes across that way. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, and you know what? I would take one look at his shoes and think he was uh, on my team, frankly, but he's on yours. Exactly. Well, I did. Yes. When I met him, I thought the same thing, but as it turns out. Okay. So the, the problem is he meets up with people sometimes for three, four hours at a time. People come all over the world. They want to meet him and he meets up with them, mm-hmm. sometimes women. And this makes you feel insecure. Well, I don't want to ever say to him, you can't meet people that want to meet you. I think it's lovely that people admire him so much. I just think if it were me and someone were meeting me, because um, I also have quite a big Instagram following, so we sort of have this you know, similarity there, but I would meet someone in a coffee shop maybe for an hour, mm-hmm. and he takes them to the mm-mm-mm building and is there for hours. And I know what he's like. He goes on, time slips by, but I find it a little insulting that, you know, maybe we have plans or we would 
going to do something and he's there for hours on end with these people that he doesn't even know. Okay, so you, are you worried that he's fucking these people in his office in the middle of the day or in the early evening? No, no, I'm, I'm not concerned about that. I just wish he would be more sensitive of how much time he's taking out, especially if we have plans or tentative plans. Mm-hmm. And I, I text him like, hey, you're wrapping up soon or, you know, should I put the dinner on? Nothing, no response could be for hours. And it's just very infuriating that he can't respect my time, you know, as much as he respects the time of these random people that are flowing. Sometimes men too, you know, Mm -hmm. he just completely gets absorbed in this and yeah, it infuriates me. Okay. So it's, it's simple inconsideration. It's not fear of infidelity. It's not that he's banging people at the offices of the hmm, 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 who come from all (laughs) over the world to meet him. (laughs) Uh, I think I've I think I've been to the offices of the. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty open office plan, if I remember correctly. Yes. So there's not a lot of on desk midday action. I'm guessing. Not that I'm aware of, but you never know. Okay, so <laughs> I don't think so. It seems to me that at the very least he could have his phone in his hand or be paying attention to the texts that come in from you. Who is divorced? And no one with this kind of presence on Instagram isn't always with a phone. And so if there are right. text messages coming in from you while he's spending three or four hours hanging out with some person that's contacted him through his Instagram page and that he would like to meet, uh, he's actively ignoring those. He's letting you stew. Yeah. I, I mean, he says he isn't, but that's how I feel. And well, I, I think that's a perfectly last- reasonable way to feel because it's hard to avoid – you know, no one in the position that he's in is not always available and always keeping one eye on the phone. It's that kind of high-powered position where you right. have to, you know, leap when your bosses uh, need you. And so you're never going to set your phone down for four hours to have a conversation with some stranger at the office where you constantly have to be available to your superiors and is ar- arguably then constantly – answerable or available to you too yes and i i think i think we've sort of come to the end of this meeting people off instagram not because i want you know said you can't do this but the last person he met kind of turned on him and trolled him and made people think he was horrible and you know i said this is kind of what it's like when you meet people off the internet and i don't think he was aware mm-hmm. of you know the dangers <laughs> i mean as a woman obviously i'm much more aware of what it's like but I think he was pretty innocent about it. And so now we've sort of come to the agreement that at least for a while, no more meetings. Oh my God. So we had nothing to talk about. Problem solved. He's perfectly <laughs> attentive. Well, there was a bit more to it than that. And it was, it was pretty difficult that evening. Um, Cause I just kind of felt like I come to the end of my tether with it. And how long have you guys been going out? Um, since last summer. Okay. So you have at this point a right to make some, demands on him but he has obligations emotional obligations to not leave you hanging to not stand you up for a stranger to not refuse to answer a text for four hours when you when you're expecting at least a response the courtesy of a response within a few hours like some people are unreasonable and they expect a text response instantaneously um, Mm -hmm. and that's unreasonable but a text response within a couple of hours or within an hour when you have plans later that is not unreasonable thank you dan <laughs> thank you exactly and yeah. so i think you have a right to demand reasonable consideration for him to be considerate of your feelings and of your time 
and to prioritize mm-hmm. your feelings. Uh, I, you know, sometimes it can be aggravating in a position of the partner of someone with a large Instagram presence. I feel your pain. I'm there too. Sometimes it feels like the person that you're with who has this large Instagram presence is more attentive to these strangers on the internet and their feelings and their need for yeah. response and they <laughs> exactly. are to yours. And it should be the reverse. The strangers on the internet can wait so long as you're not making unreasonable demands for attention, so long as the stream of text yeah. from you isn't constant. No. And I mean, these people have come from Australia and stuff just to me. I do understand that he wants to give them some value for money or whatever. I, I get that. But no, I just feel like I, do, I try to leave it as long as possible. And when I feel like it's been three or four hours, I'm like, right, are we doing this thing tonight or should I make other plans? You know, and then, I, then I'll text and then I'll get nothing. And then I'll be like, hey, okay, well, what's going on? You know, hopefully he's going to course correct here. Hopefully you're important enough to him that he's going to make an effort to be more considerate of your feelings. But what if he's not? What if he can't? What if he continues to treat you like his lower priority, lowest, not lowest, but lower priority than strangers on the Internet who've flown to wherever it is that you are to meet him doing whatever it is he does at the place where he does it. If he continues to treat you this way, yeah, I think that's dumb mm-hmm. area. I think that's DTMFA land. I think that's eel yeah. shit. Yeah, I agree. And I, I hope that this will be enough of a push. I mean, we've talked about it, but I'm glad that you agree because sometimes I think, God, am I being some psycho bitch? But um, no, I think I'm well within my rights to ask for some consideration. And yes, if he doesn't provide it going forward, then bye. You know, we all have a right to say my feelings should be taken into consideration in this relationship. We're in a relationship. My feelings should matter to you. Uh, what we have to do is make sure we need to interrogate our feelings to make sure we're not manipulating someone or abusing them by weaponizing mm-hmm. our feelings, by being so insecure and needy all the time that they can't get on with it, that they can't go to a two-hour-long meeting, that they can't have an uninterrupted lunch. Uh, you, and if that's the way you're behaving, and it doesn't sound like you are, then you're the problem, they're not the problem. People have a right to some autonomy, yeah. a right to yeah. some away time, a right to turn their phone upside down while they're with a friend and not look at it. And I, you know, I've been with people who flipped their phone back over and they had 30 messages that came in in the last 45 minutes because the person that they're dating – that then I will encourage them to stop dating is freaking out that they didn't get an instantaneous response. And so, yeah, that's too much. I, I mean, yes, that's, that's ridiculous. So consideration works both ways and feelings aren't a trump card. Like I'm having a feeling doesn't mean you win every argument, but in this case, I'm going right. to come down on your side and say that you are being not badly used and not badly treated. Just he's being inconsiderate and he needs to take his inconsideration into consideration and do better <laughs> by you if he wants to keep you. And you need to make him understand that. And it sounds like you have. Yes. Yes, I think so. And I think that's thanks to you, Dan, I have to say. And tell and all him, your great advice. And tell him amazing shoes. It doesn't look like... Oh, I will. I believe you that he doesn't have sex just, with men, but I'm convinced his shoes have. Just please don't meet him for five hours at the da 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 I will not. I will not. Next time at the da 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 I won't monopolize his time, I promise. But I might ask his shoes out on a date. Well, you're well within your right. Thanks, <laughs> Thanks so much. Nice talking with you. <laughs> you too. Bye. Hi, Dan. A uh, 30-something straight woman here. Been dating this guy for a little while now, a couple years actually now. I can't believe that. Um, and everything is going well except, not even except, because one of the things that he doesn't love is eating pussy. And <laughs> what I'm trying to do, this is sort of an experiment that I've set up, 
is to kind of train him to like it. And um, so I've set up these rules that say, hey, we can't have sex until you eat me out. And I'm also willing to suck your dick before we do it. So it's sort of equivocal. So it's not so, I don't know, I'm training you to love pussy. But I'm just wondering what you think about this arrangement. A, do you think this works? Like people, can people be trained to like something like a Pavlov's dog? Like every time you get sex, it's associated with eating pussy. So you start to like it just kind of, you know, naturally. Uh, And then B, do you think there's any sort of ethical or moral questions surrounding this sort of like training? Like I've told him I'm doing this and he knows I'm doing it and he's agreed to it. But sometimes I can tell he's a little aggravated by it. Um, And he's sort of like, oh, this is a good idea. But I don't know. I, I, I just wonder if the, if the roles were reversed, would this be completely and totally sexist? Like if you were training me to love the subject. Can people be trained to like it? It specifically in this case, uh, performing cunnilingus. I don't think I could be trained to like it, but so let's take, you know, genitalia out of the package. Let's talk about, I don't know, eating ass. There are lots of people out there who eat ass, who rim, who perform analingus. And I can't imagine that there are many who, when they hit puberty and first became interested in sex, that this was the thing they thought they would be doing or would want to do. I think it's something that people tiptoe up towards and then, I don't know, fall over the edge. And then they're rimming and they realize that they like it and it's not something they could have anticipated. I think of armpits and my long and complicated history with armpits. First time I was in bed with a guy when I was a teenager, kind of an inappropriate sex partner, older gay guy, and he lifted my arm and licked my armpits. I thought he was the most disgusting human being on the planet. I couldn't imagine why anyone would want to do something so revolting. And now I basically live in my husband's armpits. So, you know, you learn, you grow, you change things that you didn't like when the first time you did them or tried them or someone did them to you become your favorite things later. So yeah, people can definitely be trained, quote unquote, or learn to like something. I don't think you're doing anything wrong. I don't think you're doing anything unethical because you've told him what you're doing and you've made it sort of a fun game that here's the bar you have to clear. When you ring this bell, when you eat my pussy, you get more sex. You say that he has to eat your pussy before you guys have sex. Eating your pussy is sex. Sucking his dick is sex. It is being folded into the bigger sex picture as foreplay, but it is sex. And I think that that's fine. You've made it kind of a sexy, fun game. And he's consented to it. He's bought in. And I think maybe he might be enjoying it too on some level. And perhaps you're helping him get over his fear of vag. Or you're helping him learn whether this is something he can learn to like. Like I have learned to like living in my husband's armpits. And if you flipped it on its head, would it be sexist? No. Because you are sucking his dick. It is Pharisees. It would be sexist if he was manipulating you or some guy was manipulating some other woman into sucking his dick without reciprocity, without it being a mutual thing. We're both going to do this thing for each other. I don't think that there is a gender problem here. I don't think that you're being a hypocrite. Uh, And if this is manipulative, it's manipulative in the best possible way, including the fact that you have been completely above board and honest about what you're doing. And again, you've made it into what sounds like a fun and sexy and so far successful game for the both of you. And we look forward to having you on a future What You Got after you write this up for a respected sex journal. Hi, Dan. I'm calling in with a comment about episode 544, uh, the guy who called in asking about the trans women's penises. 
um, is clearly a chaser and fetishizes trans women. I'm surprised that you didn't catch that and a little disappointed. Did you notice that he didn't once refer to them as women, just saying transsexuals? Or how he kept saying the penis instead of her penis? I'm really disappointed that you didn't catch that and call it out for what it was. Please educate yourself more on the unique types of misogyny that trans women face. Hey, Dan, I'm just calling on as a comment on show 544, the guy who is interested in a trans girl but doesn't want to interact with her dick. Um, As a guy who was in this position pretty recently, I've got to say, I know where you're at. I know that you like the idea of her having a dick and you like probably thinking about her dick and seeing it maybe in porn, but you're really nervous about taking that final plunge. Uh, Well, I can say that I recently hooked up with my very first trans girl, uh, and while we were going at it, she said, do you want to suck my dick? And I thought, why not? And it turns out I liked it. So my advice to you is take the plunge, suck the girl's dick. Uh, I was calling in with a comment with regards to um, the lady who is expecting and whose husband is squicked out, so to say, by having sex with her. I just wanted to add that I don't know if that's a fairly common thing to have happen, it might be. But what I did want to say is that there is definitely people out there that are not squicked out by that. As a lesbian human myself, I don't know why, but I am totally down for having consensual sex with pregnant ladies. Uh, especially if it's going to help them in their laborious processes get shit going. So, yeah. Don't worry. If he doesn't want to do you, there's somebody else out there, lady, who will do you because you guys are hot. Before we let you go, we're going to remind you that we have a big show coming up in Portland, Oregon, a live taping of the Savage Lovecast, our Easter extravaganza on April 14th at Revolution Hall. Go to portlandmercury.com slash Easter for tickets. You're going to want to be there. All right, we're going to leave it there. 206-302-2064 is the number here at Savage Lovecast. If you'd like to record a question or a comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-302-2064. Read my syndicated sex advice column, Savage Love, every week in the Pittsburgh City Paper and other newspapers around the world. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Erica Moen on Twitter at Erica. Moen. And if you want to hear more from Terry Connolly, and you do, check out her TED Talk Mythbusters Gender and Sexuality Edition. You can find it by Googling Terry Connolly and TED Talk. Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at Risk Youth and Nancy. And I'll be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.